Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Morgan Adams on with us. She is a holistic sleep coach for women who struggle with getting a good night's sleep consistently. Her goal is to help women feel better and live better, and the key to both begins with a good night's sleep. So welcome to the show today, Morgan. Thank you so much, Andrea. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I, this is a topic that I don't know if I've had ever, you know, in six years on the show. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into all things sleep with you. And I think especially over the past few years, this has been something that many people took for granted myself included, you know, like sleep this last couple of years. Um, I think you've probably had an influx of people being like, wow, what happened? Um, is that kind of true the last couple of years (laughs) for you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to kind of dive into some of those, but first I want to start with, um, knowing a little bit about yourself and how did you personally get into the sleep industry and become a sleep coach? Yeah. Well, about 17 years ago, I had a personal crisis in my life and that spiraled me into chronic insomnia. And the solution for me at the time, based on what was available to me and what I knew was sleeping pills. Uh, specifically Ambien. And we'll probably talk more about this topic later, but um, I was essentially dependent on Ambien to fall asleep for almost 10 years. And I finally got myself off of them. I did, I did wean myself off. I did it by myself, which I really don't encourage my clients to do because I feel like there should be a doctor kind of looking over your shoulder, approving things. So I didn't go about it the right way, but in retrospect, you know, that's what I did. And I slept decently to my knowledge, you know, for the next several years. And then March of 2020 hit, like you Mm. kind of implied earlier. And, you know, I just found myself having some problems with sleeping. And I remembered, you know, very well, those days of having insomnia and I, vowed to myself, I'm not going to go back there. I'm just not going to go back and I'm going to do whatever it takes to prevent myself from slipping. So what I did was I bought myself an aura ring, uh, so that I could really see my stats and see where, where my numbers were. And I just started using optimization tips that I saw online. And as I began to see my sleep improving, I started just sharing organically on social media, like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. That's working. And come to find out like a lot of other people were struggling too. I don't think I quite realized how many people were struggling until I started sharing on social media. And then, um, about, I don't know, it was late in 2020. I just had this really powerful revelation um, that I wanted to be a sleep coach for women. And it was really based on the fact that since I had been diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018, I really had become so focused on health, especially women's health. And I just had this feeling like kind of deep inside that I wanted to impact women's health on a very deep level. And sleep seemed to be the area where I felt like I could do that. And so that began the, the, the journey into sleep coaching, you know? So I decided I wanted to be a sleep coach and then I had to ask myself, well, how do I do that? So, you know, I did some trainings and did some certifications and I started my sleep coaching practice last summer. So summer of 2021, so I'm, you know, relatively new to this, but it is, has been quite a fun ride. Yeah. I mean, with your own experience with it, you know, I want to kind of 
back up to the Ambien and, you know, talking about that sleeping pills. Cause I know, um, I, my mother-in-law, I think had, I think she was taking Ambien when I very first met my husband about 13 years ago. And I think that was the same thing. Like that was the only thing out there for, you know, sleeping issues. And I remember like, I think she stopped taking them because she started having, you know, wandering around at mm-hmm. night, which then, you know, becomes dangerous. Yes. Did you have anything like that where you were like, Oh, this is kind of a wake up call. This is actually not serving me. Yeah, actually. Yes. Um, so I had several incidents where I would binge eat after mm-hmm. taking the pills and that's not good. I mean, eating a lot right before you go to sleep is not <laughs> a good way to get a good night's sleep. So, uh, you know, that, that was a problem. I fortunately did not drive, like get behind the wheel or, or do anything, you know, that could hurt somebody else or myself, uh, in a profound way. Um, but the reason I did stop, I have to share that when I met my current husband and we were you know, just in the beginning dating stages, I was so entrenched in this nightly taking of the pill that, you know, I didn't think much of it. But he, he noted to me one night, he's like, you know, I just, I just have to share with you that like, every time you take the, this pill to sleep, like you turn into a zombie mm. and I'm really concerned. I really, I kind of don't like it. I kind of, I don't kind of don't like that you're doing this. And that was actually the, the wake up call for me, you know, because I kind of got called out in a very gentle and loving way. I got called out and it made me think, and that's what was sort of the, the, the factor in, in uh, weaning myself off. Did you realize you were in that zombie state or was it like, it took him to be like, Hey, do you, do you see this? Yeah. I kind of knew, I okay. kind of knew I was a zombie, but it was just like, well, I don't really care. Cause I'm about to go to bed, mm-hmm. but you know, when you have a partner, a new partner at that, it's just like a little, a little disturbing to have yeah. that kind of, um, you know, um, real bubbly most of the time and, um, you know, lucid. And then to kind of become a different person before bed, it's like a little freaky. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice would you have for people if they're trying, you know, if they're taking sleeping pills and they just don't feel rested, you know, without them, is there, is there ways that you, you know, recommend getting off of them? Well, you know, I I think that the best way to get off of them is to work with the person who prescribed them for you and, and talk about a titration schedule and how to gradually go off of them. Some people are able to just cold Turkey it, but that can create rebound insomnia. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't think that's a great strategy. Um, now I, you know, I feel like I'm kind of bashing Ambien and, you know, because of my personal experience. So I just want, you know, your, your listeners to know that like, I don't have a beef with, you know, that particular product itself, but I'm just kind of speaking from my own experience. And I do believe that there is a time and a place for sleeping pills. And I think that the time and the place is really in critical crisis situations. You know, for example, death of a loved one, um, maybe you're traveling and you just, you know, you can't sleep in a hotel. Um, but really when you go get a prescription for a sleeping pill, I mean, quite honestly, they're, they're given out very freely by family care doctors. Um, that's really all they know how to do. They haven't been trained in sleep science adequately. So I understand why they give a sleeping pill so freely, but really the prescribing physician should be providing some kind of guidance upfront about when you'll stop taking them because they really are not meant to be long-term meant for long-term use. They are really more of a short-term solution, but people like myself 
relied on them for a long-term solution. And, you know, if you really want to, like, I don't want to be a fear monger by any means, but if you really do want to like scare the poop out of yourself by looking at information um, on sleeping pills, Dr. Matthew Walker has a lot of information in his book called why we sleep. Hmm. Um, And I just actually want to share a quote that he, he made. I just pulled my book out and um, this is my only scary stat and I'll leave the others for your folks to find on their own. But uh, Matthew Walker said ambient induced sleep caused a 50%, 50% weakening or unwiring of the brain cell connections originally formed during learning in doing so ambient laced sleep became a memory eraser. I mean, wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's just sort of a little sampling of, um, you know, some of the scarier side effects. Um, the, the other thing I did want to share is that when they do studies looking at people who are taking sleeping pills, those folks are subjectively reporting that they are sleeping better subjectively. But when you actually measure, um, their actual sleep, they're not really getting quality sleep their deep sleep is getting impacted. Now, granted, it does improve the time for falling asleep. So you will fall asleep faster, but it's just that quality overnight, that deep sleep, you're, you're really more in a sedated state than a true deep state of sleep. So um, that's kind of my take on sleeping pills. And I know everyone has you know, their own you know, it's up to the individual person, but I just, you know, like I said, I come, I come from this kind of, from a biased perspective of somebody who's been down that road. Yeah. Most of my, I'm guessing most of my audience is probably not big into the sleeping pills themselves and more natural holistic approaches. I mean, just because mostly talk about Ayurveda and we're all about getting to the root cause and you know, how, what are some other ways? So, um, you know, I definitely appreciate your honest take. Cause it's something that I personally I've never taken and don't have experience with. Yeah. So I do appreciate that. For sure. um, one thing that you had mentioned too, was the aura ring. So I would love yeah. to know how you incorporated that as you were kind of coming out of things. And is this something that you recommend for people to kind of invest in? Yeah. Well, mainly what I was looking at with my aura ring were just, I was just tracking stats. I was just trying to track like how much um, sleep I was getting, my sleep efficiency, um, my REM and my deep sleep. Although I will say that with any sleep tracker that is um, a wearable, like the whoop strap or Fitbit, the accuracy of the sleep staging of REM and deep is really not super accurate. It's about 60, 65% accurate. So you really can't um, rely too much on those numbers. You're really looking at trends. Now, I, I think okay, there's a couple sets of people that I think the aura ring and sleep trackers are good for, or, or I'll make the distinction. The, the set of people who ha- hasn't had a long-term history of sleep problems and somebody who wants to optimize their sleep, somebody who is actually motivated by seeing numbers that's a really good person to, to have use an aura ring. The folks that I really don't encourage using aura rings for are people who have insomnia, like who've had Mm -hmm. chronic insomnia for years and also people who have sort of an anxious component to their personalities, because seeing those numbers can make somebody really, really anxious 
And there's something called orthosomnia. I don't know if you've heard of that term. There's, you know, orthorexia, the, you know, that, that obsession with, you know, clean eating. Well, orthosomnia is sort of the obsession with your sleep numbers and how you sleep. So I don't want my clients to go down that road. So if a client that I'm working with is an insomnia client and has been struggling for many years with their sleep. And they ask, they, they in, invariably ask me about my aura ring. Cause they see me showing it on Instagram and whatever. I'm like, hold, hold on. Like now's probably not the time for you to go down that route with a, with a tracker. Yeah. That makes total sense. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, too, like the doshas come to mind and like just different personality types and mm-hmm. like pitta's dosha were very like, okay, give me the numbers. They are <laughs> driven by that, but Ravata might not be where if you're having that insomnia, it's going to, it's going to make you more anxious. And that, that just makes sense. And then a kapha is probably indifferent. It just kind of depends on which way, which way the wind is blowing yeah. that day for the yeah. kapha dosha. So, I mean, that totally makes sense. Um, and I'm glad to, and if anyone's like, if they're like, what is an aura ring? Can you quick, like say what it is? So in case people are yeah. like, oh, what's an aura ring? It, it's a wearable, uh, sleep tracking device. You wear it on your, on, it's a ring. So you wear it on your finger. You can put it in airplane mode. If you don't want to deal with, um, the EMF, uh, frequency issues. And, um, essentially it just tracks all sorts of metrics. It tracks your readiness. So included in your readiness score would be like your heart rate variability score, HRV, um, your, your breathing rate, your, um, heart rate. So that's sort of some of the metrics embedded in the readiness score. And then the sleep score has the REM sleep, deep sleep, sleep efficiency, um, time it takes to get to sleep, your restfulness. I mean, it's got like so many, um, data points that you can actually, you know, look at your trends, um, by just going to the trends tab. And I like, I think that's a really good feature because when you're looking every day at your score in the morning, you can get a little hung up on numbers Mm -hmm. kind of going back to that anxiety. And, um, I actually know a sleep coach who has a really good way. He, he does his aura ring. And I like, I like the fact that he wears it every night. So it's collecting his data but then once a week, he kind of downloads the data and examines it. So mm-hmm. he's looking at something more from a holistic perspective, kind of more uh, general than like picking apart each day. Mm. That's like um, weighing yourself. Like that's like the scale. Like <laughs> Exactly. It's a great analogy. Ah, okay. Exactly. I like it. Um, do you notice too, with the, with having the aura ring for anyone who's still in their menstrual years, does that vary based on yeah. where they're at in their menstrual cycle? Yeah, absolutely. So what I notice is that, um, when I'm in my luteal phase, my temperature goes up a little bit. So it looks like I'm kind of spiking a fever and my breathing rate, um, increases a little bit. And that's, you see that kind of across the board, uh, for women a week before their period, um, aura has done some work or they're continuing to do some work on making the device more friendly for women because, Um, what happens is that like when aura picks up that you have like a fever or increased temperature, it will lower your readiness score. And you're like, damn it. I didn't deserve that. I'm just having, I'm just getting ready to have my period. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, you're not unwell. You're just going through the phases. Right. So, um, what they've recently done is, um, they've enabled you to like, designate when your period is so that it kind of, it kind of takes that into consideration. However, I haven't quite noticed that play out in my data 
Okay. And I'm saying so yeah. there, but they, they are making an effort to make this more friendly for their menstruating ladies. That's, I mean, that's great to hear. Cause that's, yeah. I mean, that's a, an area that I think so many companies, you know, forget about in studies, you know, yes. Oh, what, what happens, you know, for people who are cycling and, um, like we don't take that in effect. That's the same with like workouts too. And, you know, that just started in like 1993 is when they first started studying workouts and how they affect women. And, you know, and you're just like, wow, how does it right. take this, this long? Yeah. And then does, of- is there a difference between menstruating and menopause? And there is in the way that, you know, it's optimized training. And it's just so interesting that, you know, companies now, I think hopefully are more on the forefront of like, yeah, gotta take this into account, especially with sleep makes sense. Absolutely. So I would love to know, you know, now how we can we optimize our evening routines, you know, yes. for a better night's rest. Cause yeah. evening routines are ones that I know myself, like it's, I sometimes have to work sometimes not, and they can vary. I don't have an evening routine. I, I love besides I read right before I go to bed. That's just been something I've done since I was like 10, since I started reading probably actually, but, um, is there anything like how long should these routines be? Cause I think that's another thing people get stuck on, you know, when I'm thinking about like, that's the only time I usually sit down and watch an episode on TV. It's the only time I have after I put my son to bed. And I think a lot of us, or a lot of the community that I work with, we feel that guilt of like, you know, I should be doing more, but we also need to rest. Yes. I know it's a push pull when you're an entrepreneur. I hear that. Well, I highly recommend an evening routine because we like, here's an, here's just an analogy for the moms out there. So if you have a child, you have an evening routine for your child, right? Whether it's bath or reading or whatever, if that routine gets missed, the child does not do well. (laughs) So you kind of have to treat yourself like your child and Mm -hmm. give yourself that, that wind down routine, because sleep is not an on off switch. It's like a dimmer type of switch. So ideally I would say the wind down routine would be an hour. Okay. But we may not have that luxury. We may be working late or something might get in the way. So we have to give ourselves some flexibility and that, and that length of time. But I did want to share sort of a, this is a very, very generalized type of um, what I call power down hour. And this is a sample. So I'll just throw this out for your, your folks to think about. So the power down hour, your first 20 minutes of that hour would be like preparing for your next day or finishing like, or like completing unfinished business, you know, um, maybe packing the kids' lunches, picking out your clothes for the next day, taking out the trash. The next 20 minutes would be personal hygiene, brushing your teeth, doing a skincare routine, you know, that kind of thing. And then the last 20 minutes could be doing something very relaxing. And that now that definition of relaxing depends on you, you know, but here, some examples would be, um, reading, um, breath work, journaling, meditation. Um, so that's kind of a general idea. When I, when I work with my clients, we get very specific about the evening routine and, and we, we customize it to their own likes and needs. I know that, you know, sometimes you'll hear some advice about, taking a warm bath, like an hour, an hour and a half before bed, because that helps to, um, lower your core body temperature to help you fall asleep better. It's a great practice. Um, however, you know, I personally don't enjoy baths. I don't find them relaxing. So to, to say to everyone, take a bath 
is not really helpful. (laughs) So it's, again, just kind of to, to summarize the evening routine, it's, it's really personalized and it's really involving things that you personally find relaxing. I love that. And I love those tips because those are, and I like that it's broken the 20 minute increment. I'm like, okay, I can can play with this. this." (laughs) Well, what about the bedroom itself? You know, our, our bedroom is it's upstairs and it gets hot in the summer. And that is miserable. Like in the winter, it's freezing because I'm in Minnesota and it's very cold up there. Um, but we have like space heaters. I mean, that's how cold it gets, but, um, I have more trouble when it's super hot than, you know, when it's really cold, cause I can just put more blankets on. So what is kind of that ideal, maybe temperature conditions, you know, do we need the blackout curtains? Yeah. Well, you sound like you do know what you're talking about with the, with the room. You're off to a really good start. Let me just kind of say that when you think about your bedroom, you kind of want to think about it as a cave, mm-hmm. cold, dark and quiet. Okay. So let's, let's start with the cool part. Um, the ideal bedroom temperature is usually 60 to 67 degrees. I like to kind of split that in the middle because <laughs> 60, honestly, for me, is too like, cold. That seems a little chilly. <laughs> I was like, probably silly. in the winter, it might be up there, but yeah. I'm like, that seems very uh, cold. <laughs> so like, let's just split it down the middle and say maybe 65 could be just an easy number to remember. Um, so the cool part, definitely, you know, with the temperature lowering, it's actually even better if you can lower that temperature every hour by a couple of degrees, if you have the ability to do that, maybe you could program your thermostat. Um, the dark part, um, I highly recommend blackout shades and you can buy them, you know, you can get them custom made, or you can buy them on Amazon. Um, there's even one that I saw recently where you can kind of attach it to your window. Like it's just like a removable one. So you could travel with it, like, and take it to a hotel, which is fantastic. Um, I also like, if you can't really do the whole um, blackout curtains, if you get yourself a really good um, eye mask, that's helpful too. um, Because, you know, recent, there's a recent study that showed that um, even just a small amount of light, just very dim light coming in through your bedroom, into your bedroom could impact your metabolic and cardiovascular health negatively. Wow. Yeah. It's so it's very, very powerful. That light can be be extremely disruptive. Um, and then the quiet part. So I recommend, you know, that people think about using a noise machine, you know, because even if your bedroom is really quiet, like there could be like a Creek or like, if you're sensitive to sound the heat kicks on or whatever that might wake you up. So when you have that kind of ambient noise in the background, I I think that's really helpful. There's tons of um, them on the market. Um, There's also even an app called white noise. And there's Mm -hmm. several of them that you can download and get that, um, that white noise. Other things that I would include in an ideal bedroom would be having minimal electronics. I mean, really like, I think only the the best electronic to have is just a bed bedside lamp, you know, just to have something to turn on. If you need to, I would really highly suggest that people not have their phone in their bedroom for many reasons, including the EMF issue, TVs, computers, um, try to keep it as electronic free as possible. And 
if you're able to invest in air purifier, I highly recommend that because sleeping with clean, pure air is going to help your sleep. If you can't invest in an air purifier, there's certain plants that you can buy that are sort of purifying the air on their own, or you can crack a window. Mm. Um, I do have a resource um, called the Better Bedroom Checklist that like lists some more bedroom environment tips that's available on my site. But yeah, I definitely feel like um, the bedroom, I call it kind of the low hanging fruit because there are a lot of things that you can do very easily that don't take willpower. Um, they don't even always take a lot of money. You could. Now, speaking of a lot of money, <laughs> I can't help this. I can't help myself. Um, you mentioned you know, being hot in the summer in your bed. Um, there is a product that I've been using for over a year um, by, a pro- by a company called Chili Sleep. And it's a chili pad. It's a mattress cooling pad. Hmm. And that has personally been a game changer in my life because I tend to sleep a little hot and, you know, perimenum, like right on the cusp of going into menopause. And I find that it helps tremendously with reducing the sweaty episodes at night. So it's, it's an investment, but I think it is definitely worth it. If you are someone who is bothered by sweating at night because or your partner, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the one that we have is, um, it's called the Wii version and each side can control their own temperature. So you don't have to be using the same temperature. You've got that flexibility. So I just have to throw that out there because that has been so impactful in my own life that I just had to share it with, with you. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you for those. Those are, those are great tips. And I think, um, can help set the bedroom up for hopefully a good night's sleep. Um, one of the other things that I don't know if people always think about, um, I know just because I've had my own digestion issues, this is something that I am always thinking about is food and beverages before sleep. And what is something that, you know, or foods maybe that we need to stay away from how close, you know, before bed, should we be eating like my Ayurvedic side? Like we're, we're early lighter dinners. So we're way early, but it's not, you know, not everyone follows that like a 5 PM dinner, yeah. but, um, what is kind of the general recommendations there and how do you know, like if digestion is causing you to get up in the middle of the night, um, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. Well, in general, I would say that the foods that you should avoid at night for dinner would be foods that are heavy, um, that have a lot of refined carbs or anything fried or unhealthy fats and also sugar. So like, I definitely don't recommend dessert after dinner. If you have a sweet tooth, have your dessert after lunch (laughs) instead of after dinner. Um, probably a bad dinner choice would be like a Supreme pizza, you know, or fried chicken and, and, and French fries, probably not a good choice. And I would also say avoid anything that's like terribly spicy because mm. that could exacerbate some um, reflux issues. Um, perhaps stay away from foods that have a high water content, like watermelon, mm. cucumbers, because that could increase your chances of having to go to the bathroom at night. Mm. And then also think about foods that have hidden caffeine in them. So I know I used to do the whole dark chocolate square thing before Mm. bed, never realizing there was caffeine in that chocolate. (laughs) 
you know? So little, little sneaky things with caffeine can get you. Um, as far as beverages, but to touch on the caffeine thing again, caffeine has a, half, a quarter life of 10 to 12 hours. So if you're having a cup of coffee at two o'clock in the afternoon, that coffee, if with the caffeine could potentially be in your system by the time you go to bed. So I, I suggest erring on the side of caution and having your last like cup of coffee or thing that contains caffeine around noon. So that's a pretty early cutoff point. But the reason I, I'm a little bit conservative with that is because different people metabolize caffeine at different rates. So you don't really know the rate at which you metabolize it unless you have a genetic test done. So I kind of, I'm going to assume just out of an, out of abundance of caution that everyone must have a really slow caffeine metabolism, you know, just to rather be safe than sorry. And I know that there are definitely people, I mean, I see them every time I go out to eat, they have a cup of coffee after dinner and they're like, oh, my dad. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they're I do not have that gene though, but like if we were out to weddings, like he'd always, you know, maybe have maybe I'll be here. And then he would always finish with coffee. And my grandma is the same way who is 96 and she can still <laughs> like, it's three o'clock. She's like, do you want some coffee? And I'm like, I know what, how can what? you have coffee right now, grandma? And you sleep. Yeah. I'm like, nope, well, I cannot. <laughs> people, people can sleep on, with caffeine, but the problem is, is that it can actually fragment your sleep a little bit. It can decrease the amount of deep sleep you can get. And you may not even realize it. So just, just because you can get to sleep doesn't mean your sleep is at, at the best quality it could be. So just sort of a little, Oh yeah. I mean, my dad's a farmer, so he lives on coffee during yeah. the harvesting and planting <laughs> season. So yeah, I yes. bet. <laughs> now with the other very popular beverage that a lot of people like alcohol, mm. um, I definitely suggest folks not drink up, you know, up till a few hours before their bedtime. And the problem with drinking alcohol is that it does fragment your sleep and can cut into your REM sleep, which is the important stage for memory consolidation and emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, some definitely alcohol can kind of put you to sleep faster. You know, that's, we all know this and it's actually being used as like the world's most common sleep aid is alcohol. So it's, it's quite common for that. Now I kind of touching back on the aura ring, I, I do these experiments, you know, and I have had situations where I've had like maybe one or two glasses of wine, at like four or five. And my sleep is not, it's not drastically impacted. It's a little bit, but if like I had a glass of wine at 7 PM, it's a different story, you know, altogether. So I know I'm only an N of one, but the general consensus is, is that the closer you're drinking till bedtime, the more impact it's going to have. Oh yeah. And I think a lot of us can even feel that. Like you just feel yes. not rest. I mean, the older we get, like, I mean, I'm like, wow, how did I used to do this? Like 10 years ago and just be fine. And then, you know, as I'm like closer, almost 40, I'm like, my friend and I were both like, yeah, nope. Cannot have like, do you want to go out and have a glass of wine? Like, no, do you want to have tea instead? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Just it, like, I don't want to ruin my sleep. My sleep is yeah. important. We can't do what we used to do with alcohol yeah. as we get into our, you know, forties and beyond. Um, but, you know, I think just as important or maybe even more important than the foods we eat or the times we eat our foods 
and you kind of alluded to this earlier with the Ayurvedic um, principle of eating dinner early, you know, again, I've done experiments looking at my scores. My scores are a lot better when I eat at 5 PM versus 8 PM. You know, it's just, it's just better for your body. And one thing you're going to be hearing a lot more about in the next couple of years is something called circadian fasting, which is a, a form of time restricted feeding. And so essentially think about the way things were for our ancestors. They had between sunset and sun sunrise and sunset to basically gather their food, kill their, <laughs> kill the prey and make the food. Um, and so we're sort of wired biologically to eat between sunset, sunset and sunrise. And it actually makes the most sense because we're working with the general waxing and waning of our hormones like cortisol and insulin and leptin. And one of the principles of circadian fasting is trying to keep your eating window within a 10 hour period. That can be a stretch for some people. So when I'm introducing this concept to my clients and they're like, what, 10 hours, you can work up to that. Like try like at first setting a 12 hour eating window. So for example, you end, you do, you end your dinner at 7 PM and you don't eat until 7 AM the next day. It's not really a terrible stretch of time. And then you just gradually make those changes. And they have shown that circadian fasting helps sleep quality and metabolic health. So you're not only helping your sleep, but you're also helping, you know, other aspects of your health. So I just, I think it's an incredible practice and it's definitely up and coming. The circadian biology is circadian medicine. We're going to be hearing a lot more of that upcoming. And if anyone wants to delve into that more, their circadian code by Dr. Sachin Pan. Panda is an excellent resource on how to really optimize your life from a circadian rhythm perspective. So funny. This is like, well, so, okay. This is like when my way back when I first, my first Ayurvedic coach, um, when someone was telling her, she was describing Ayurvedic food principles and, um, you know, they're like, oh, they're calling it intermittent fasting. But I, I mean, I think it's maybe still kind of what you're describing. I was like, oh no, it's, it's very much the circadian fasting. That is what Ayurveda has preached for 5,000 years. And I love that. Like it's, that is becoming, you know, what's going to be studied and, you know, heard about. And, um, I mean, that to me is fascinating. I wrote that down because I'm like, this is, this is great. There's a name for, or there will be a name like that people will hear about and they'll know. And I can be like, okay, so this is Ayurveda has believed this for 5,000 years right. and has shown <laughs> that it works. And then now the Western world is study. I mean, that's kind of what, um, I had a friend on who's also an Ayurvedic practitioner and a scientist. And so having, you know, she was like, it's so interesting because they'll pick apart different pieces, but haven't made it whole, but they're starting to see these little pieces. Like, what do you know? We're studying it in the West and it makes sense. So I love that you brought that up. Cause I think that's, um, that ties in beautifully with Ayurveda and the stuff that I preach. Cause I I'm, I'm a big fan of doing that. And it's for my own health benefits. I've seen tremendous benefits from just that, you know, that seven to seven window easy peasy. And then you can slowly stretch it, you know, back mm-hmm. as needed, you know, usually like a five thirty to seven, but I love, I love that. So, yeah. um, thanks for bringing that up as well. Sure. 
Okay. So I just have one final, um, well, one final question, question before the last yeah. challenge question. Yeah. I think this is something that I want to tap into because especially over the last couple of years, that 3am wake up situation, um, that I think a lot of people experience, like they might've, you know, fallen asleep, but then two o'clock, three o'clock rolls around and they're like, I'm up again. And then I can't fall back asleep. So what are some ways for people to deal with that, you know, middle of the night wake up? Yeah, this is one of the most common complaints I see from my clients and just people in general who, who talk about sleep problems. Um, one of the reasons why people could be waking up at that time is because of a cortisol spike and a few different, very simple ways to potentially avoid a cortisol spike would be making sure that you're eating throughout the day to ensure that your blood sugar is balanced. So when you have that blood sugar crash, like at 3 a.m., your cortisol spikes and wakes you up. So that's mm-hmm. like a, a very common explanation of why people wake up. There are other reasons too, but this is a, a common one. Another um, strategy to potentially reduce that cortisol is to really disconnect from technology um, one to two hours before bed. Anything that can overstimulate you is probably something you shouldn't be doing at night. And that could be something like, you know, a scary movie or even a book that's like two books are not technology really, unless you're maybe reading from a Kindle, but a book that's like very stimulating, like you probably don't want to stimulate yourself in that way so that your brain is like, ah, Um, and then the final thing you can do is called constructive worry. It's a, it's a, it's an exercise and it's sort of like a brain dump. You know, now the constructive worry exercise is, you know, you just get a piece of paper, you draw a line down the center of it on the left-hand side of the page, you write what you're worried about. You just list your worries. And then on the right side of that column, you write the next step that could be taken to Mm -hmm. deal with, with that problem. Even if there's no, nothing to be done about the problem, you just write, cannot do anything about it. Now we'll have to wait for a week or whatever. When you do um, that exercise, it really, it can really prevent you from the wakeups because you're dealing with the problems during waking hours. And you're just sort of sending a signal to yourself, like, Hey, we've done our worry for the day. We're going to sleep and we can return to worrying the next day. So, okay, let's just say worst case scenario, you know, you're trying these things, but you still do have some wakeups at 3 a.m. A couple things I would suggest would be if you're lying there for like 20, 30 minutes and you're like really frustrated that you can't get back to sleep, get out of bed, go to a, another room and in dim light, do something that's very relaxing, like read a book, read a magazine, um, crossword puzzle, or just, you know, coloring book or something like that. And, um, the other thing you could try is something called four, seven, eight breathing. It's a breathing method developed by Dr. Andrew Weil to help people get back to sleep. So it's four counts, inhale through your nose, hold for seven, exhale for eight counts. Very simple. Do maybe five rounds of that. That can be helpful getting you in a more relaxed state. So those are some things that I would recommend for the 3 a.m. wakeups and Another tip that's incredibly obvious, but one that I actually missed during my sleep struggles is removing your clock from your room Mm. because just seeing the clock and knowing it's 3am and knowing like you have to be up in three hours can create so much anxiety. Mm. 
So taking the clock, putting it in the closet or somewhere where you can't see it, but you could perhaps still hear the alarm, I think is a great strategy to alleviate that stress of like seeing the time. Cause that can be a huge trigger for people, especially with insomnia. Mm. Yeah. I have an alarm clock. That's the the light, it slowly gets lighter. And then eventually if I don't wake, I usually always do. Cause that's how my mom woke me up as a kid, which I'm like, I'm doing that to my son now, which I'm like, (laughs) Oh gosh, it's the worst. Like you just flip the lights on. You're like, thanks, especially in the dark winter. But I found that I really enjoy the light. Cause I usually always like instantly get up within the first, you know, couple minutes of that turning on. Um, but it doesn't show the time. Like I have to actually click a button and you have to click a specific button. Otherwise I've done this in the middle of the night you can't turn the stupid thing off or the, you turn on a random green light and then you're like, oh my goodness. So I don't usually mess with it in the middle of the night. Cause if you do press the wrong button, you know, you're going to be up yeah. trying to figure out that. And then you wake up your partner and you're like, sorry. Right. Um, but that's a nice little, uh, like, I don't know, alarm clock that I I've been using. And I really like, um, if people are into like the light versus the, the sounding alarm, um, and having no, you can have the clock on if you wanted it, but I've had the uh-huh. settings. Set, so. Yeah. That's a, that's a fantastic yeah. solution. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that one up. Yeah. I got it on Amazon. I'm pretty sure. Yay. <laughs> So I would love for people if they're like, yes, I would like to know more, you know, how can I work with Morgan and you know, what's your website? Where can people find you? Yeah. So my website is morganadamswellness.com. And I'm also very active on Instagram, you know, doing sleep tips and that kind of thing. My handle is morganadams.wellness on Instagram. So that's where you can find me. And if you want to download that better bedroom checklist, from my website, you can do that too. That just gives you a more complete list of things to look at in your bedroom. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. All right. Well, I just have one final question and I always like to end with a weekly challenge. And when I have a guest on, I have you throw out the challenge to everyone. So what would you like that challenge to be this week? Okay. This challenge is about getting morning sunlight, which is incredibly important in and training your circadian rhythm, regulating all of those uh, hormones that are involved in your sleep-wake cycle. So when you get up within say an hour of getting up, go outside without sunglasses because your light, your light needs to hit the natural light and spend about 15, 20 minutes outside. You could sit there and drink your coffee or better yet, you could actually take a little stroll through your neighborhood. And it is really, I mean, this is actually one of my most common, like, and loved sleep tips because mm. pretty much anyone can do it. I mean, yeah, there are going to be days where it's terrible weather and you may not be able to do it, but for the most part, anyone can do it. It's free. And it does make a difference because like I said, you're regulating some of those sleep wake cycle hormones and it just makes everything better because that vitamin D stimulates melatonin, which is a precursor to melatonin. Vitamin D is a precursor to serotonin, which is a precursor to melatonin. So you can see how all the hormones just kind of fall in line. Once you set that pattern with the morning sunlight. Oh, I love that. Perfect. Well, thank you. And that's a, it's a new challenge for us. So thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, thank you so much, Morgan, for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with us. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Yes. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.